All right, as we go to the message this morning, let's, let's pray. Father, I pray, I ask that you would give us light, that you would then also give us the courage when your light comes to leave the light on, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, since the start of uh, the beginning of our summer, we've been in a series on the life of David that we've been calling A Journey of the Heart, and we have used stories from the life of David as we go through as uh, the guide for, for this series, and we've been stopping in some places to really pay attention to different things that have been surfaced through these stories, looking deeper at what these things mean for our hearts as well. And in the past, past few weeks, we've been looking at 2 Samuel Chapter 11 and 12, a painful episode in the life of David, a story, the story of David and Bathsheba. This is a story that's pretty intense, an episode that causes us to wonder, like, what, what happened to this guy's heart? Now, if you don't know the story, I won't tell the whole thing, but the summary is that King David sees a beautiful woman. He sends for her. He has sex with her. Then he sends her back home, and at some point, the woman named Bathsheba she sends word back to David that she's pregnant. Now, instead of repenting, instead of um, uh, confessing it and, and trying to make amends, David decides he's going to cover it up. And he does that by having her husband murdered. And then King David marries Bathsheba, and it looks like he, the cover-up was complete. But he didn't get away with it, friends, because God shows up. And part of why he didn't get away with it and part of why God showed up is God loved him too much to let it go on, loved him too much to let him live in the dark. And God shows up through a prophet named Nathan. We looked at that part of the story. He skillfully tells a story that becomes a confrontation of King David. And Nathan, what he did was shine a light on what David had done and how far David had gone. And when this happened... David had a choice. This passionate word came to David, right? And he could have stepped in the light or not. He hears the message loud and clear, and he decides to step into the light. He owns up to his sin. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. See, the lights come on for the first time in a long time because it had been about a year at least by this time from the start of this to this point in the story. And when he decides and sees the truth, he understands that he has not just committed adultery, not just committed murder, as big as those are. He also sinned against God. He betrayed the heart of God. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then the prophet Nathan, after David's confession, says, the Lord has put away your sin, David. And again, that's amazing grace, right? It's forgiveness. But as we looked at last week in depth, forgiveness and grace didn't mean that there were no consequences, Right? Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. You're not going to die, which on the surface, if you stop right there, it looks really simple, real quick, real easy, kind of superficial. It's like, oh, wait, so I just say, I'm sorry, and God says, okay. Oh, and that murder thing, sorry. Um, but we keep reading. We keep reading the story, and the next word is, however, says Nathan, there is forgiveness, David, however, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die, and the sword will not depart from your own house, and both of those things happen. Violence uh, was unleashed by David in his violence toward 
Bathsheba's husband and others, he unleashed violence and chaos into his own family. So yes, yes, there is grace, but not without consequences. And as we said last week, while the amazing grace of God is real and available, it does not magically erase the consequences of our sin. Um, I like the picture of, of saying it this way. Grace is not this great big mattress at the bottom of the cliff that keeps you from hurting yourself when you jump off the cliff, right? Life doesn't work that way because the fact is this. If you jump off a cliff, you're going to fall. If you fall, you're going to hit. If you hit, you're going to hurt yourself, which is why we've been looking at this stuff for the past few weeks, the effects of what happens when we jump off a cliff, We've been talking a little bit about uh, the effects even of, of sin on us and on the people around us. And thinking about this this week, um, you know, so many times when we think of sin or even talk about it in our culture or entertainment, we think about, well, sin, that's, that's the fun way to live, right? But it doesn't take much unpacking to realize that it isn't fun at all because the impact of sin is that it damages diminishes and destroys, which is precisely why God speaks so strongly about sin. See, God's not just arbitrarily opposed to sin, like he's not this big cosmic killjoy. He's out there to, to destroy your fun, to ruin your life. No, no, he, he doesn't even get angry about sin because, you know, well, you broke one of my rules. I'm taking it personally. That's, that's not why it happens. See, the primary reason that God hates sin is because it damages diminishes and destroys the object of his love, which is you. It does damage. That's why it matters to him. It does damage to you and to me and to people and, and to churches and to marriages and to cities and to nations. It, it does damage to our world. And so this morning, um, I want to wrap up this story of David and Bathsheba. And, and I want to look um, at two things. That, that occurred to me as we've gone through these last few weeks. Um, and the first of these two things is this. Okay, so what's the way out of uh, a pattern or a spiral of sin? What's the way out? Particularly, we'll look at David's sin here, this downward spiral where it looks like there's no way out of this giant mess. And when we've gotten ourselves into a giant mess like that, when we have weaved this tangled web, okay, now what? Right now, how do we get unstuck? And I want to talk about at least the beginnings out of that kind of sin. And second, the other thing I want to look back at is what are, what are, what's even just a basic initial safeguard from falling into um, that kind of sin or, or really any kind of habitual sin? See, David, if he had had some of these safeguards in place, he would have been much less likely to do what he did. And then if he did blow it, he could have escaped sooner, maybe caused a lot less damage. So this morning, what are the way out? And what are some safeguards? And friends, by the way, the way that's the answer to those two questions, the way out of the trap and the safeguards, the answer to both of those questions, beginning with this anyway, it's the same thing. See, the way out of that kind of spiral and safeguards from going there in the first place is for us to become the kind of people who are intentionally and tenaciously and courageously, because this is going to require courage, friends, it's for us to willingly live in the bright light of what is true about life, about God, about ourselves, and about our sin and brokenness. 
See, when, when David came, or when Nathan came to David and, and said to him, David, you are that man, what he essentially was doing was flipping on the light, which exposed David's sin, and he did it in a way that he could no longer deny he turned on the lights, and David, to his credit, did not turn off the light. Right? People often do, you know. People often turn off the light when it comes on, especially when it exposes something that they don't want to see because we learn to hide in an amazing variety of ways. And David, for sure, he certainly could have turned off the light that Nathan turned on. He was the king. He could have used his power, which he'd already done before, to try and control and manage and cover up. He already knew how to do that. But the truth is this. You don't have to be um, a king to try to cover stuff up. Um, although with, with David, um, he probably had some advantages, right? Because um, if, if you're Nathan coming to David, the truth is you don't talk to a king the way that Nathan talked to King David. Like, people have been executed for far less. So David could have turned the light off that way. He could have just continued living in the dark, could have continued to try to manage his sin, to cover up, to hide it. But again, to his credit, he didn't do that. He left the light on which I think points to one of the first steps of us getting out of a trap like this, any kind of sticky web. Step one is to live in the light, right? Step one, this step to recovering our heart, it's to live in the light and to leave the light on. Like to leave the light on that Nathan the prophet had turned on, to live in the discomfort, right? And for David, this was agony that the light had exposed this. I mean, I think about this and what's interesting physically about being in the light or dark. Just think about what happens um, when you step out of a, bright, uh, a dark room into somewhere really bright, right out into the sunshine. Like anybody ever go to a movie during the afternoon, especially on one of our lovely Arizona summer days, right? Just catch that matinee. And when the movie's over, it's still daytime outside, and so if you pop the doors open and you step out in the parking lot, right, isn't it just like, whoa, knock you over, blindingly bright, right? You go out, we're squinting, and you know, the first thing I want to do in a situation like that, when I've been in a very dark place, and suddenly the light hits my eyes, I want to go back in the dark, right? I want to go hide in the dark. I mean, this little spotlight right here um, that we've got hooked up, I mean... I, I, I'm tempted to, like, just, you know, kind of spin it through the room here, but I heard that that would be a really bad idea. But I'll go up above your heads, right? I mean, just, just think of what that illuminates in the room right here, right around us, all the way around. And if this were to hit you in the eyes, you'd be blinded right away. The, the light would shine. We'd be blinded. We'd cover our eyes. It would expose everything, right? Everything we look like, and we just couldn't bear it in the moment. So I get wanting to go back into the dark. David could have done that. The light went on. It hurt for sure. Like, this is his worst day ever, I'm sure. Um, and in moments like that, the question we have is, am I going to leave the light on? Am I going to stand in this? Am I going to face this? Or am I going to turn the light off? Am I even going to, like, you know, kill the guy who told me the truth? See, the first instinct that any of us have when we come out of the dark into the light is to go back in the dark, or at least to, like, pull down the shade, right, or cover our eyes. And I think we come by this tendency um, from Adam and Eve. Like, this is in our emotional and, and spiritual DNA. 
all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve walking in relationship with God. They had this close relationship with God, eye to eye, face to face, nothing hidden. It was this incredible kind of intimacy. And then sin entered into that relationship, and when sin entered in, everything changed. They began to cover themselves. They were ashamed of what they saw. They began to hide from God And we have been hiding ever since. We've been covering ever since. It's almost like it's hardwired into us. Like every instinct that we have when we are exposed is to cover, to turn off the light, to pull down the shade. But again, here's the deal. The first step to recovering from this kind of sin or or trap is to live in the light. Intentionally tenaciously, courageously be willing to leave the light on. It is the only way, the only way out of this kind of downward spiral. And by the way, if we don't leave the light on, we'll continue to spiral down, sometimes even into death. Uh, And if not physically, the death of your relationships, the depth of your capacity, the death, the death of your joy. So again, that's part of the way out, live in the light. And like I've been saying, living in the light is also the primary safeguard, I believe, from um, dropping into this spiral as well. So again, for us to intentionally, courageously, tenaciously live in the bright light of what's true about ourselves, about our struggles. And it takes courage to do that because honestly, friends, I don't always like what the light exposes, and to get real clear on this, I want to look at 1 John chapter 1. A few verses in there is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to unpack this, uh, these verses. And so we'll have it on the screen, but you can flip in your Bible as well. 1 John 1, 7 says it this way. But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, and I'll pause there. In other words, if we live with what the light exposes, right? If we're willing to leave the light on and look honestly at what is real... It says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I mean, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus is one of the results of living in the light, of leaving the light on. And I think that it, when we've been living in the dark for a long time in an area, one of the things I fear about the light coming on is that it's going to expose me, because it's really scary to get exposed, But in order to have courage to do that, we have to let the last part of this verse in, right? In the end, we get cleansed, right? The the function of the light is not just to expose sin. The function of the light and the purpose of the gospel, friends, is to cleanse us so that we can be free. We can feel clean and we don't have to hide anymore. Can you imagine living life that way? Nothing to hide anymore. The offer of Jesus to us when we walk in the light. It also says, if we walk in the light, it says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, in the light, cleanses, right? It cleanses the stuff that we're hiding. But again, we have to intentionally and courageously leave the light on. Let's skip up a couple verses here. Look at verse 5. Um, it says, this is the message we have heard from him, again, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light. Pause. Like, he's not just in the light, right? It says he is light. So God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no pretense. 
no illusion, no trickery. James 1.17 says it this way, um, every good thing given, every perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of lights, right? God is the Father of lights, and it says with him there is no shifting shadows. And I want to think about that phrase, shifting shadows. Think about that just for a moment, right? Shifting, it just means that there's there's a little bit of light, right? And there's a shadow over there. I can't quite see it, but I think I see something. Oh, and then it moves. It moves. Did it just move, right? It gets really confusing. That's how shifting shadows work. It can actually be kind of scary. And sometimes maybe you've had relationships with people where they are hiding, (laughs) They're hiding, a little bit of light starts to come onto the picture, and then this shifting shadow happens, and it moves, it moves. And you thought, what, wait, oh, okay, I'm, was I wrong? Did I miss that? Did I, right? And we do this, right? We do this with each other. Um, if you've been in a relationship with somebody like that, or, or had that feeling where you thought, I think I'm recognizing or seeing someone, I see this shadow, and then it moves, you can't quite make out what it is, because it just keeps on moving, And it can be that way with people, sadly, but not so with God, because it says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, right? No illusion, no shifting shadow, no trickery. God would be like the best friend that we could have who tells it to you straight, right? You love that, right? You know, don't you love when people tell it to you straight? Sometimes. Not, not all the time, right? Hey, buddy, could you put a little sugar on that next time? That would help. Um, but if we want to live in the light like God invites us to, if we want to live like men and women after God's own heart, then, then no shifting shadow, no illusion, no politics, no trickery. Flip back to 1 John. Look now at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, again, God who is light, If we say we have that while we walk in darkness, then we lie. So we lie about what? Um, About being in fellowship. And and let me explain why I I see that, okay? So the darkness here, where it says when we walk in darkness, that word, darkness does not mean just sin, right? I think it means to hide, to, to be hidden. And all of us hide from time to time. Again, darkness is the instinct that we have to hide our sin, to deny our sin, to redefine our sin, to keep it in the dark, right? Just to pull down the shade. And so this verse is saying, if we say we have fellowship with God, but the way of life that we've entered into and commonly live out is to be hiding, to be pulling down the shade, turning off the light, creating shifting shadows so people can't really see the truth, then it says we would be lying if we say we have fellowship with God, because if that's the way we live, we can't do that with God because God is light. So I can't be hiding and living in the light at the same time. And I'm not talking about our salvation here. I'm talking about the way that we live our life congruently with living in the light and at the same time um, trying to hide. Like, it just can't be done. Now, let's go back to that first verse of, um, that I looked at here, verse 7 out of 1 John 1. It says, but if we walk in the light, right? So if we have the intention, the desire, the tenaciousness, the courage to walk in the light, to leave the light on... I mean, even just that phrase there, friends, right? think about that. Um, and I want to say, when the light comes on, I want to clarify this. God's not turning this light on, like he's not just doing it to expose your sin 
Um, so you're embarrassed. Like he's not interested in trying to humiliate you at all. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to harm us. He's trying to get to what the next part of the verse says here. Because in the light it says, right, that's where Jesus cleanses our sin. See, Jesus wants to clean our sin, to take away our sin, our brokenness. He wants to take that away so that we can feel free, right? So that we don't have to hide anymore. So all of this raises a big question. Um, Do you want to live in the light? Or do I want to live in the dark? Which seems like a goofy question, like, all right, huh, there you go. Nice, nice, Doug, that was really brilliant. Um, um, but honestly, thinking about this, before we answer too quickly, I have a couple of things that I want to say about even this question. First of all, you get to choose. And every day, we do. We choose light, darkness, and we do it in some ways that are really obvious. I mean, think about David here. He was hiding, covering, managing his sin. It was blatant. This downward spiral was out of control And Nathan, in a very sneaky way, he turned the light on, he intervened. Um, This is what we would call, David and Nathan, today we would call that whole scene an intervention, right? Exactly what's going on there. And so definitely, yep, there's blatant ways, I think, that we hide, that we live in the dark. But this got me thinking more about subtle ways that I live in the dark, places that we hide. Now, the truth is, honestly, I would be, I, I, I know that I would be scared to live in the dark, at least completely living in the dark all the time. But honestly, I know this tendency in me. I'm pretty good at kind of pulling the shade down. Just enough light that I can kind of see where I'm going, right? I don't run into anything in the house. But I don't want that thing all the way up. So, you know, I don't want enough light turned on so we can see all the mess around the house, right? All the mess that I've made. And I think that we live in the dark in really subtle ways, um, insincere smiles. We hide with half-truths, creating a shifting shadow. And wait, wait, what did they say? And what, wait, wait, what, what did that mean? And trying to navigate those shifting shadows with people. So I do. I think this question is a big question. Do I want to live in the light of what is true about my life? Do I want to live in the light of what is true about my relationships, about my marriage, about my character, about my behaviors, about my brokenness and sin? Or do I want to, you know, live in the dark instead? Like, do I prefer not to see those things? Do I really not want to look at how I treat people? Do I really not want to look about um, how I handle my money? how I express my sexuality, how my anger comes out and lands on people, or or about how I sometimes run people over with my strong opinions. Well, that's just the way I am. (laughs) That's living in the dark. Um, Because honestly, sometimes we just assume not look at those kinds of things. We'd rather not look at the ways that we pull down the shade. So again, the question is, do I really want to live in reality? Or do I want to live in illusion? And, and I think we can think of somebody, probably all of us, like think of somebody that we know, they keep making poor choices over and over again and again, we get frustrated with them, we're like, can't they see what they're doing? And the answer is no. <laughs> no, they can't see because they're living in the dark. And they've probably been living in the dark for a very, very long time. Because when the opportunity comes... Um, And we think about, okay, well, do I want to live in the light or the dark? 
reality or illusion, most of us instinctively, we go, well, of course, right? I want to live in the light. I think everybody here, if we had the opportunity to choose, we'd choose light, right? We wouldn't say, yeah, I want to be blind to reality. <laughs> most of us. Um, we'd say, yeah, yeah, no, sign me up for light, okay? Because when I have time to think about it, you know, the light is actually good as well. There's things that I love about the light, right? The light turned on, it helps me to see beautiful things as well. It helps me to see things that I want to see, that I need to see. It's kind of like um, beautiful things like, like when you're sitting somewhere, the sun has not yet come up, and you're maybe at the ocean, or there's a mountain scene before you, you know it's there, you haven't seen it yet, and you're just waiting, and the sun's about to rise. It's dark, so you can't see it, but then when the light comes, it reveals the beauty, and we go, oh, wow, I love the light. See, because sometimes light reveals good things, noble things, virtuous things, and I love the light of reality in those places because when good and virtue and nobleness are revealed, I go, oh yeah, I want to choose that. I want that because I want to live in the light. I mean, that's how many of us came to Jesus, right? The light came on, we, we, we realized, we saw, we understood who Jesus really is. Thank you, God, for turning on the light in my heart. So sometimes the light helps me see beautiful things. The light also is a benefit when it helps me avoid dangerous things or, or, or hurtful things. I love it when the light does that, right? Because when the light reveals dangerous things, it protects me. It, it helps me to avoid the dangerous things because if it were not for light, I would have walked off that cliff because I didn't see it. Not because I'm evil. I just couldn't see it. There was no light. If it wasn't for light, I'd fall into a hole because I didn't see the hole, if it wasn't for light, I'd fall into a trap. I'd trip over things, if not for the light. I mean, you, you, you ever get up in the middle of the night to do what you do when you get up in the middle of the night, right? And um, there's not any light. I remember when Noah was little. He's not here, right? I have to ask permission before telling these. Okay, he's not here. Um, when he was little, Legos. Anybody kids with Legos? Wonderful. You know what I'm saying, right? I heard an ouch, yeah. In the dark, barefoot, when you go to what you do in the middle of the night, that thing that you do, right? And you step on a Lego, oh man, Legos are from hell. They get implanted <laughs> in your foot. You feel like you've broken your foot and you're wide awake, right? By the way, empty nesters like us, there's a benefit to empty nesting because when you go to bed um, and get up in the middle of the night, nobody's moved anything, right? <laughs> Well, we got a grandkid coming, so that, that could all change. But um, So I love the light. It protects me, right? It reveals what's good so I can choose it. It reveals danger so I can avoid it. But again, as I was writing and thinking, and so I love the light, but sometimes the very thing I love about the light is what I hate about the light because it reveals <laughs> and exposes what's true. Um, not just about the good stuff always, but it also then, because it's indiscriminate, it reveals what's broken and unhealed, uh, particularly about me and my weaknesses. And in those places, at first, I hate the light. Oh, I hate it, right? See, I, I felt just fine about my marriage until the light went on, and I began to hear how my wife was experiencing my shortcomings. <laughs> Oof, hated that. Um... 
I felt just fine about my attitudes, my anger, my addictions. And I think David felt just fine about his adultery until the light went on. And then I hate the light, right? Some might say I felt just fine about my sexuality. Felt just fine about how I'm handling my money, how I treat my friends, until that stupid light went on. And every instinct that I have when the light shines and shows how things really are in my life, my attitudes or how people experience me, every time that light shines and it's embarrassing, I just want to turn it off because in those places, at first at least, I hate the light. And John three nineteen says, people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And I get that verse. I get that verse because the reason it seems like the darkness is my friend is because I can use it to hide what I don't want you to see about me, and I don't even want to see that stuff about me. And so we're just slick enough, aren't we? We don't want to live in total darkness. We pull down the shade just a little bit, just let up enough light so we don't totally shipwreck our life, maybe. We create enough shifting shadows so you can't really confront me. No, 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 that's not what I said. That's not what I did. That's not what I meant. So... Again, before we quickly answer the question that I had earlier about living in light or dark, um, I have to acknowledge that oftentimes we seem like it's easier to prefer darkness over light, and that's because we like to hide. We think that that darkness is giving a safe place to hide, but something I think is really scary about our tendency to hide things in the dark, to pull down the shade, to turn off the light, it's this. If we live in the dark long enough, if we make this a pattern of life, we can get used to the dark. And while numbing our conscience might sound, you know, appealing, especially right now if we're in the middle of something that's scary and we don't want the light shined, that's a dangerous place to be. This sounds like an odd prayer, but I almost think it'd be worth praying a prayer that we would be afraid of the dark because the danger is we could learn to live in the dark and think that's normal. You see, when we live that way in the dark, we say things like, you know, I don't see anything wrong with, and then we just kind of fill in the blank, and the reason we don't see anything wrong with that is because we're in the dark. Of course we don't see it because we live in, we've been living in the dark so long that we're used to the dark, and sometimes we even start to think the dark is light, and so we might say, I don't see anything wrong with flirting with that woman at work, even though she's married and so am I. And the reason that guy doesn't see anything wrong with it because he's living in the dark, he's gotten used to the dark, and so doesn't see it. Or we might say, I don't see anything wrong with how I talk to my kids or the way I talk to my friends or to my wife, or, or when I use my anger to manipulate and control them and get what I want from them, when I punish them with the silent treatment, I don't see anything wrong with that. And the reason someone like that wouldn't see anything wrong with that is because they've gotten used to the dark. So they just don't see. I don't see anything wrong with sleeping with somebody before we're married. And again, the reason that we just go along with it is we've been living in the dark a long time. We've gotten used to the dark. We're running red lights, like we talked about with David and Bathsheba earlier in the series Like early in David's temptation, somebody reminded him, hey, David, she's somebody's wife. This is someone's daughter. What are you doing, David? And he blew right through those red lights. So, yeah, sometimes we do, right? We live in the dark. We we even may have enough light to go, I know that's wrong, and we just blow right through it. But honestly, sometimes, again, um, 
We're living in the dark, and so maybe we don't really know, or we've forgotten, or we don't see it because we've gotten used to the dark. We don't maybe even know the difference in some areas of our life between right and wrong. We just don't, we don't see it. We don't see it. Dallas Willard, in his uh, book, The Divine Conspiracy, opens up with this, uh, opens the book with this really compelling illustration. Uh, it's a fighter pilot, and he is flying upside down. But he doesn't know that he's flying upside down because he's in the dark. And so his hands are on the control, and he moves into what he thinks is a steep ascent, but he's upside down. He pulls the stick, and because he's upside down, he doesn't know it and drives his plane straight into the ground. I just think about that pilot there um, and this mess that he made, right? He wasn't a bad guy. I mean, if he's a pilot, he's certainly not a stupid guy. Stupid guys don't get to be pilots. Uh, I wouldn't call him evil, right? But he did a lot of damage. I mean, to himself, he killed himself, and a multi-million dollar jet was destroyed. And it was simply because he didn't know, right? He couldn't see the information he had entrusted his life to, what he thought was real, was false. And I read that illustration, and I wonder if... if a lot of us maybe in some areas of our life are flying upside down and we don't even know it. We just have learned to live in the dark or with the shade, not all the way down, but most of the way down, just enough to get by, but we're flying upside down. We don't even know we're flying upside down. We've gotten used to the dark. And the reason that we grow used to the dark is because the information that we are getting on how to do marriage or how to do sex or how to do finances, it's coming from a system that is completely operating in the dark. Now, when we do that, we learn to hide from ourselves. We learn to deceive ourselves, and we have an incredible capacity for that. It's really a dangerous capacity. Back to 1 John verse 8 of chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And my paraphrase of this is, is uh, if we're unable to acknowledge our own stuff, our own sin, if we're unwilling to even look at our stuff, our shifty motives, the way that we hide, then we've gotten to a place where we are able to deceive ourselves. Cornelius Plantinga in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, says it this way, self-deception is a shadowy phenomenon by which we pull the wool over our own psyche. We put a move on ourselves. We deny, suppress minimize what we know to be true, and then we adorn, assert, and elevate what we know to be false. He says we prettify ugly realities, and then we sell ourselves the prettified versions. We know the truth, yet we don't know the truth. First we deceive ourselves, then we convince ourselves we are not deceived, and then we actually forget that certain things are wrong and that we are doing them. And that's flying upside down and not even knowing it. He goes on and says, don't believe it? Then why do alcoholics and drug users typically go through years of denial? Why is the revelation of incest an astonishment to people who are living right in the middle of it? How did the Nazis convince themselves that their killing programs served the best interests even of their victims? Why do battering husbands offer minimizing and euphemistic accounts of the beatings they administer? And why do battered wives sometimes accept and repeat those accounts? And here's why. Because we've learned to live in the dark. We're flying upside down. We don't even know it. And sometimes we even think that the darkness is 
light. See, from the time of Adam and Eve, we've been hiding, we've been covering, concealing our sin, which is why I'm convinced at least the first step and the only way out of our sin is the thing embodied here in the story of David and one of the primary safeguards from that downward spiral is to become the kind of people who intentionally, tenaciously, and courageously are willing to live in the bright light of what is true about life in general and about about God and about ourselves and about our brokenness. And so today, I invite you into the light to leave the light on when it shines in a dark place. See, friends, living in the light, living in the light, this is where God moves. (laughs) And lives change. This is where love acts. Living in the light, this is hope. And we want to live in the light. Worship team, will you come? Friends, if you have the kind of courage that it takes to leave the lights on, to courageously live in the light, there's one more promise made in that First John passage we were looking at. Uh, let me read verse 7 again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Right? I didn't unpack that phrase. It says, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, friends, real community. We have authentic relationships as a result of walking and living that way. See, God's intention for the church is that we would be a place where we are real with each other, that that we would be a place where the worst about me could be known. And when I shine a light on the imperfect parts of me and reveal those things, I find out that I get loved more and not less in my vulnerability. And in the light, Hope family, in the light, we are a place, a truly a place where imperfect people belong and can truly belong because we can't really belong if we're living in the dark. If we're living in the dark, if we're wearing a mask, if we're faking, posing, bluffing, pretending, maybe just trying to get people to like us or think highly of us, it might work. You might, you might get that, but we'd still be living in the dark that way. And we wouldn't really have a sense of belonging in the dark because nobody knows us. You wouldn't be known. The true you isn't known when you live in the dark. But living in the light, (laughs) wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? When we, the people of hope, a people that God has called to be this beautiful place of freedom, when we don't have to hide it or fake it, and, and we do grow more deeply into this Jesus-honoring community by living authentically, tenaciously, and courageously living in the light, won't that be something? And, and I got to say here again with this, uh, this, this spotlight for a sec, um, by the way, I just need to say it, this is not about one of us or some of us that think we have the spiritual gift of spotlighting other people's sin, Right? <laughs> right? Because if we turned all the lights off and I started shining this at you, you can't see me, right? So anybody that thinks that they've got this, prof- yeah, there we go, this professional gift of spotlighting other people's stuff, that is not what this community is like. You shine the light on your own stuff. We don't shine the light on everybody else's stuff. We shine it on our own stuff. So friends, let's live in the light Instead of worrying about somebody else's brokenness or sin or details of what they've done, let's stop and look at ourselves and invite the light of God to shine on us. 
And when the light of God shows broken places or somewhere that could wreck me, instead of hiding or minimizing, and I agree with God about that thing, guess what happens when I agree with him about that thing he reveals? You get to be free. You don't have to hide any more. You get to be cleansed. You get to experience forgiveness and grace. And yes, there might be a gigantic mess to clean up. But in a community of grace, we let people walk with us. We give them permission to help us. And because all of that is true, that you get to be free, friends, we don't have to hide. Like when we come to God and agree with what he shines his light on, he will forgive, he will cleanse. And because that's true, you don't have to cover. You don't have to live in the shadows anymore. And that's the gospel that we proclaim, folks. You don't have to create illusions. You don't have to pretend. You can walk in the light because in the light, there is cleansing and healing and forgiveness. In the light, there is grace. And so, friends, I invite you this morning into the light because it is the safest healthiest place on earth to live. Will you stand with us? Father, thank you for your light, for your grace, and all of it stems for your, from your, your incredibly deep love for us. We love you, and I pray that even as we close now, that we would ponder this in the light of your love do we want to live in the light or in the dark and that we would take some steps toward trusting you more in Jesus' name, amen.